So what's going on, guys? Rob Pearsall here from Real Mets Legends, joined with my my co-host and my buddy Mike Rosen. Uh, and this is the first episode we're doing. Um, you know, we want to thank you guys so much for all the support you've given us on Twitter, and we wanted to uh, continue to expand on that. And um, you know, Mike, how's it going today, man? Oh, it's going good. You know, nice day outside. You know. More, more people getting vaccinated with each passing day. Opening day is not far away. Can't complain too much. Absolutely. Um, you know, I know there's been some, uh, some stress in Mets land over the last 24 hours about Francisco Lindor and getting ex- an extension done or not. Um, but we're here to help distract you from that because we are real Mets legends. And uh, Francisco Lindor, probably not going to be a Mets legend. So... We're here to ease your mind with some John Roush, some Joe McEwing, guys like that. Simpler times, Mike. Simpler times. <laughs> guys that are uh, not in discussions to get uh, 12-year-long contracts. No, I think they'd be happy to get uh, one-year, one-year-long contracts. <laughs> so uh, Mike and I um, have been running this account together for a couple months now, and uh, – We've actually been friends, though, for about five years now, uh, which is crazy. Um, we, uh, Mike and I met uh, while we were students at New Paltz, and uh, I had just begun my journalism career there pretty much, and I had class with uh, our friend Jack O'Brien, who, uh, who was the managing editor of our newspaper at New Paltz, The Oracle, at the time and Jack and I had class together and I had mentioned that I wrote for a website called Metsmerized Online, which I still do. And uh, Jack approached me after class and told me that he wanted me to write for the Oracle, pick up an article uh, to come by the office. And uh, I did not, I did not do that. Uh, and, uh, you know, Jack wasn't the first person to tell me to write for the Oracle too. I, when I first moved in my RA, uh, knew I was a writer and he was like, you should, you should go there. You should pick up a story. And kind of throughout the whole semester was like, did you go, did you go to the Oracle office? Did you go? And I was always like, nah, and I don't really know why I didn't, but ultimately Jack convinced me to do so. And the first day that I did, I met Mike who was a copy editor in the sports section at the time and ultimately became the sports editor for the paper and uh, meeting Mike kind of just felt like uh, reconnecting with a friend that I've known for a long time. Uh, you know, we're both Mets fans and uh, both just really, really had that that sweet spot in our heart for baseball. So we hit it off right away. Um, and the next semester, I was Mike's copy editor on the paper. And then uh, it was kind of history from there. So um it's crazy that it's been so long already, Mike. Yeah, I know. When you said five years, I like had to stop and think, and I was like, holy crap, he's right. It has been almost five years. It's hard to yeah. believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, I didn't know you for uh, the Mets World Series appearance and uh, their you know, wild card loss in 2016. I probably met you like a month after that. But uh, so in our Mets friendship, we haven't really known much Mets, much Mets success together. Um, so I think it actually is kind of nice that we're running an account where we talk about guys that are uh, are not uh, part of the team's long-term success. So, uh, 
but yeah, I pretty much had approached Mike. Uh, I was running the account by myself. I had uh, made a Twitter account a couple of years ago um, called Random Mets Players, um, and it had a pretty big following. Um, but for whatever reason, I stopped posting on it and ultimately deleted the account. Um, but it was something that I really enjoyed doing. And I, I, from the first time around, I really had enjoyed the interaction um, that I was getting from Mets fans. It was kind of a nice to take a trip down memory lane and kind of have uh, see these guys. And you're like, oh, my God, like I totally forgot about him. Like Brad Emus, the starting second baseman in 2011. Like, you know, it was kind of nice that we, Mets fans could could come together and bond over these these guys that we – forgot about it and are mostly insignificant in Mets history, but it kind of is a, a funny thing. So I, re I remade the account back in December and I probably approached Mike in January and was like, Hey, like, I think it'd be really fun if you and I ran this account together and, uh, you know, it, Mike agreed and, uh, it's been great. And I think that our account has really, uh, has really picked up since that, uh, we're pretty much doing, you know, a picture a day, a video a day, um, birthday graphics. We just brought on a new graphic design guy who's also named Mike. Uh, so that can get confusing in our group chat sometimes. But, um, yeah, we're really excited. And, uh, you know, apart from our podcast, uh, we're also going to be launching a blog as well at some point. So a lot of good things to come. And uh, I'm personally really excited about it. Yeah, no, I, I am too. And, and like you said earlier on, like, just thank you to all the support we've gotten. Um, you know, it really, it's really taken off just seeing, um, just seeing that like list of followers go up and up and up. Uh, it's been mm -hmm. great. Totally. Yeah. I, I think that uh, it's kind of a nice break from like the, from like the regular content that uh, you're getting as a typical Mets fan. And it makes sense. I mean, like you're always going to get the most current and up to date, news in regards to the team and um or you know you're you're going to be reminiscing about the 86 match the 69 match the 2015 mm -hmm. match and stuff so i kind of like what we're doing because i feel like no one else is really doing it and um you know i think it's kind of just uh just a fun thing but um yeah so i mean you know we have opening day coming up on the horizon on thursday uh as of this recording it's tuesday um so for our first episode, I thought it'd be a really great idea to talk about some uh, opening day moments uh, of some guys who didn't end up lasting on the team too long, but are kind of uh, solidified in Mets history um, due to some interesting moments they've had on opening day. And so one that you had brought up, Mike, was, was Kaz Matsui. Um, mm -hmm. who the Mets signed in 2004 prior to the 2004 season. He had spent uh, several years before that with the Cebu Lions um, in Japan. And he came with a lot of, uh, he came with a lot of fanfare. Um, you know, he was uh, a big international signing for them. Uh, the Yankees had success with, Hideki Matsui, no relation there, of course. Um, and the Mets were kind of at a weird place at that time in history. 2003, they were coming off uh, a couple of rough campaigns. 2002-2003 were some bad years in Mets history. They were not great. Uh, I think in 2002, even 2001, they had an okay season. But in 2002, 
Bobby Valentine was still their manager and they still had some of those uh, players from the 2000 Mets, but they didn't, they weren't able to get it together. And a couple big guys that they acquired in the 2002 prior to the 2002 season were Roberto Alomar from the Cleveland Indians and the, and Mo Vaughn from the Los Angeles angels. And uh, or at that point, I think they were just the Anaheim angels and neither of those guys were good for the Mets uh, at all. Uh, you, we, we had talked about early on when you joined Mets legends about Roberto Alomar coming over to the Mets and essentially the guy fell off a cliff once he got here. Uh, and I don't think Mets fans, especially Mets fans that are our age, realized how good Roberto Alomar really was before he joined the Mets. I mean, the guy's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Um, and I think if you mention that name to Mets fans, you're going to get uh, you know, a visceral reaction because he was just so bad. And um, I think that was kind of like – I think it's kind of been a thing in Mets history where they get these guys and they come over and they just completely stink after being great for other teams. You know, I mean, Bobby Bonilla, when he first came over to the Mets, was really good. Um, his second stint with the team, as many Mets fans know, because they're still paying him to this day, he was bad. He was really bad. Um, obviously, you know, the the weird contract clause that they instituted with, with uh, Bobby Bonilla ended up letting them sign Mike Hampton. Mike Hampton leaving for Colorado gave them a compensation pick that they used to sign David Wright. So it's not all bad, but I mean, overall, the guy was bad. So anyway, 2002-2003, the Mets were really bad. Bobby Valentine was manager in 2002. Uh, He departs after that season. 2003, they bring in Art Howe, who, as many people are familiar with, was the manager for the Oakland Days during their, their, their really historic season, the Moneyball era. Art Howe managed the Mets in 2003 and 2004, and he was, I mean, he wasn't a great manager for the Mets. The Mets were bad. Um, But in order to kind of inject the team, you know, kind of make a play, they got Kaz Matsui from overseas, and he came over, started opening day for the Mets in 2004, and he hit a home run on the first pitch that he ever saw in the majors against the Atlanta Braves in Atlanta. And, uh, I vaguely remember it. I was young at that point. I was eight, eight years old. But you're thinking the guy is going to be awesome. You know, like he's going to, you know, he hit a home run on his first pitch. He's great. Um, and uh, it's kind of really all he did for the Mets. I mean, he homered in his first at bat for his first three seasons of his NLB career. So he did it in 04, 05, and 06. Mm-hmm. Other than that, <laughs> other than that, though, the guy didn't really have most success with the team. Um, and also, you could argue that it was bad for the team because while he was on the Mets, he was a shortstop, and the team shifted Jose Reyes over to second, and Reyes ended up getting hurt. He didn't look good over there. So you had this young guy in Jose Reyes, and he's playing out of position at second. Kaz Matsui um, wasn't really so good. So it was kind of just a disaster on all fronts. And also, uh, he was hurt, too. I mean, he... He played 114 games in 2004, and then he only played at 87 in 2005. And then he was part of that 06 team, actually, but they traded him midseason to the Colorado Rockies for Eli Marrero, who is a bench piece. Um, but taking a look at his numbers, his first year with the team was okay. So he, he hit 272, he had an on-base percentage of 331, and he actually came in sixth in Rookie of the Year voting. 
2005 wasn't as good. He only had a 300 on base percentage. He had three home runs. Um, and then he, he ended up lasting in baseball for a little while. He played seven years in the big leagues. Um, and then uh, he went back overseas and played for like nine more years. He played after he left the Rockies in 2010. He went over and he played for the Tohoku Rakuten Golden Eagles from 2011 to 2017 and the, the Sea Blue Lions in 2018. So this guy actually played up until like we were graduates of college, which is really weird to think about. Um, and now he's a coach, and he's been coaching with the Sea Blue Lions since 2018. So Kaz might to be the gift that keeps giving, but uh, you know, what are your thoughts on Kaz and, and uh, kind of just his, his volatile, uh, to say the least, Mets career? You know, I always I kind of find it funny just because that's one of like the most well-known things about the Mets is their success on opening day, even when, you know, they go on to the rest of the season goes on to not pee so good. Uh, historically speaking, like they always seem to do pretty well on opening day. And so it's just very funny to me that they have this guy that, you know, was notorious for hitting a home run in his first at bat on opening day, potentially helping them win that game. Um, and then, you know, not doing much beyond that. It, it just seems very, very fitting for that franchise. It's pretty funny. I, um, I actually, uh, I had a Kazmat Sui Mets shirt growing up, uh, probably that I got, uh, in 2004. And I remember I was, uh, I was at like a, a barbecue with a family friend and, uh, I was wearing the Matsui shirt and this girl was like, Matsui? He's on the Yankees. Why are you wearing a Mets shirt? And I think, like, I was, like, like looking back, it's just, like, yeah, like, yeah, like, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> but you're right, Mike. I mean, the Mets on opening day are historically good. Um, they're 39 and 20, 661 winning percentage. Um, and uh, they uh, actually lost their first eight opening days. The Mets, the 1969 Miracle Mets, lost the uh, the their opening first opening day. They won a um, they won a World Series before they won an opening day game. Yeah, which is crazy <laughs> to think about. Since then, though, they're they're 39 and 12 on opening days. So, if there's anything that we could pretty much deduce from the Mets is that no matter how bad they are in a year, like you said, they probably are going to win on opening day. And, and I think that it's just kind of like this self-fulfilling thing for us because it gives us this optimism that the Mets are going to be good. And, uh, and a lot of times they're not, but uh, there's been a lot of moments uh, on opening day from guys that, that come over here and they have really good opening days and then they kind of just like fall by the wayside. And another one of those is Colin Cowgill. <laughs> uh, one of the best names in baseball, my, in my, opinion so Colin Calgill is actually only 34 years old still uh he, so he could still be playing and he actually has played in so many organizations so the Mets were his third organization they acquired the guy on December 18th 2012 from the Oakland Athletics um for minor leaguer Jeffrey Marte um uh, and Jeffrey Marte has played in Major League Baseball a little bit he's played overseas but you know, it was a pretty much a swap of guys that uh, never ended up really doing much. Um, but so they got Cal Gill in the 2012-2013 offseason, and he got the opening day start that year in 2013. And uh, 
do you remember what Colin Cowgill did that day, uh, that opening day, Mike? I absolutely remember what he did. He hit a grand slam <laughs> just above the orange line out in left field. Yeah, he did. Um, and uh, they actually had a video review it at first. Um, but And it's funny because he actually hit that home run off of Brad Brock, uh, which I didn't realize until recently when I recorded the video. Um, so it was it – was, uh, in the bottom of the seventh inning, there was two outs, and he actually had two strikes on him. The bases were loaded. The Mets were already winning seven to two. And Brad Brock, who I actually forgot totally played for the Padres, he came up with them, I believe. So bases loaded, two and two count. Brad Brock deals, and uh, Colin Calgill hits a grand slam. And so the Mets uh, went up 11 to two. And, uh, that was kind of that was kind of a cool moment for Calgill, uh, but after that, he only went on to play 22 more games for the Mets, and he only hit one more home run for the Mets and drove in four more runs. Overall, he hit 206, had a 311 on. Ba- uh, I'm sorry, he actually hit 180. <laughs> he had a 206 on base percentage and oh, he had a boy. 311 slugging percentage. His OPS was 518 which is pretty brutal. <laughs> Somehow, the guy ended up playing for six years in the big leagues. He went on, the Mets traded him uh, to the Los Angeles Angels uh, in exchange for a minor leaguer. He ended up playing for them uh, for a couple years, played in the Cleveland Indian system, the Padres system, the Philly system, the national system, the Mariner system. Um, and now he is, as of this year, he's the manager for the Arkansas Travelers, who are the double-A affiliate of the Seattle Mariners. So congrats to Colin. Um, but as of last year, he was still trying to trying to get back to the majors. He was with the Seattle Mariners. Um, I don't know how that went down with like all of like the COVID um, releases. I know a lot of teams had to uh, uh, you know, had to cut some guys due to COVID. But uh, so good for Colin. But um, I didn't realize how few games he actually played for the Mets until today. Um, for whatever reason, I mean, the 2013 Mets were also very bad. Um, and so I feel like those guys you kind of just assume were like with the team for a lot longer because like they didn't have anybody else. But, um, yeah, I mean, he only lasted for a very short amount of time, amount amount with the team, but, uh, he was someone who I actually thought might've been okay. Like I kind of liked, you know, he wasn't like super tall. He was, uh, you know, he was five, nine, um, he was kind of a scrappy player, uh, but yeah, he, I mean, he really just didn't last. Um, but I'm really happy for that opening day moment. I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, just being able to hit a grand slam to a packed house like that is, is pretty nice. And you actually said you were there at that game. Yes, I was. I was in the upper deck near the third base side. And I do remember the video review because I initially, I initially thought it just went off the wall for a double. Um, like, I, I had no idea it was a home run from the angle I was sitting at. You can't really see that left field corner. Uh, mm-hmm. But then when they showed the replay, you could see it had just cleared that orange line. Yeah, I mean, so th- that you're right. Like, that was – I'm trying to think if that might have been the first year that they moved in the fences. Um, I think 2012 was – Yes, I yes, because Johan Santana's yeah. no-hitter. Um, they totally had the fences moved in. Um and I'm not sure when they – do you remember exactly when they instituted video replay? 
I believe video replay. I think I think for home runs, it was I think they started that like some point in the 2008 season or for the 2009 season okay. uh, around there. Yeah. All right. So it wasn't too new of a uh, a concept then. Um, but it's pretty cool. You got to see that live. The Mets went on to win the game 11 to two. That was the final score. Um, and John Neese started opening day for the Mets that year. And uh, this is the rest of their, this is the rest of their lineup from that day. You had Colin Calgill who led off actually went two for five in that game. Struck out twice, though. Daniel Murphy played second. David Wright at third. Ike Davis batted cleanup and played first. Marlon Bird played right field, who ended up having a good season for the Mets that year. Lucas Duda started and left. And then Kirk Neuenheis came in, pinch, pinch ran later in the game. John Buck started a catcher. So that was his first game at the Mets because they had gotten him that offseason in the R.A. Dickey trade. Ruben Tejada at short and John Neese pitching. So overall, not the worst lineup we've seen. Uh, Jordani Valdespin came in and pinch hit. Um, and then on the mound, in relief of John Neese, we had Brandon Lyon, who I totally forgot about. I completely forgot about him. Yeah, Brandon Lyon. Then Scott Atchison, who was actually out, whose birthday was actually yesterday. We, we posted about it on Mets Legends. And uh, Scott Rice, um, who, pitched, who pitched an inning. And I believe that was his major league debut when he was mm. around 32 years old. And he actually had a pretty decent season for the Mets that year. He came, I think he pitched like uh, 70-something games for them that year. Um, yeah, 73 games for him for them that year. And then he pitched a little bit in the 2014 season. And he had an okay year. He, had, he pitched with 371 ERA. Um, he was a lefty specialist, though. When, mm-hmm. So he pitched in 51 innings, but he pitched in 73 games. Uh, and he had a 340 uh, fit. So he actually was an all right piece out of that bullpen for someone who debuted when they were 32 years old. Um, and he had uh, he had Icky Thump as his uh, entrance song. It's pretty good yeah, entrance song. What a legend, man. He was 6'6", <laughs> too. He was a big dude. Um, funny enough, I actually... Back probably in like 2015, um, I interviewed Scott Rice. He was the first interview I ever did of a player. Uh, and uh, he was a really nice guy. Um, you know, it's a shame that he never really got a chance to make it back. But uh, it's pretty cool that he was able to have success, you know, making it into the majors so late. But that a lot of, lot of guys that we totally forgot about uh, – for the 2013 opening day, especially Brandon Lyon, man. I totally forgot he was even on the Mets. I mean, that entire team, you go through the everyone who played with them, there's plenty of Mets legends from that team just because, <laughs> <God>. <laughs> just because of how bad it was. <laughs> yeah, it was a rough time for the Mets. I mean, you know, they, but they, they, they had some hope on the horizon. I mean, Matt Harvey was really good that year before he underwent mm-hmm. Tommy John surgery. Um, and then you had, uh, I believe Zach Wheeler debuted later that season. Um, and, uh, you know, you had made that Syndergaard trade, the Darno trade. Uh, you know, so there was some hope on the horizon. I think um, Darno also debuted that year. He did, you're right, in yeah. August. He, did, he, he debuted later that year. Um, 2014, though, so next year. Mm-hmm. Um, we have another guy who hit a, a big home run. Uh, and that guy is Andrew Brown. So Andrew Brown actually got the start uh, kind of 
filling in. He wasn't even really supposed to start. That winter, they had signed Chris Young to be a starting outfielder for them. And Chris Young wasn't ready in time for opening day. Um, I believe he was hurt. Um, and he's another guy who just like had a really bad Mets career. They let go of him midseason. Um, so he started in place of Chris Young, and he hit a three-run home run against Steven Strasburg in the first inning of that game. Uh, and Andrew Brown is a guy who uh, was a mid-round pick by the, by the Cardinals in 2007, um, bounced around a little bit. You know, he was on the Cardinals in 2011, the Rockies in 2012, and then uh, he was actually with the Mets in 2013, and he was called up to the majors on May 3rd in place of none other than Colin Cowgill. So there's a connection there, actually. Um, Colin Cowgill was optioned to Vegas in May. Andrew Brown comes up and then has an opening day home run himself the next year. Uh, he played with the Mets that, the rest of that year, and he actually had another walk-off hit uh, against the Arizona Diamondbacks that summer in an extra inning game. Um, but... You know, overall, Andrew Brown, nothing too, too crazy to write home about. Um, two, 227 hitter, 288 on base percentage in 2013. And then uh, in 2014, 182 batting average, 245 on base in only 19 games. Um, but, uh, it's, I mean, it was a pretty cool home run. And to do it off Steven Strasburg, uh, I remember, actually, I was not at that game, but you were as well. So take me through that a little bit, uh, being a pack game. I do remember. That one I don't quite remember as well as the Cowgill one. Uh, I remember it snowed that morning before the game. Um, but It was cold. All the snow. Yeah, yeah. Most opening days are. Uh, but it had clear before in time for the game. They were able to play it. Um, and I do, I do remember at first initially thinking, like, it wasn't gone off the bat. Just because, I guess also just because, you know, Steven Strasburg's on the mound, Andrew Brown's at the plates. You're not expecting a, a three-run homer there. Um, <laughs> but but inevitably, inevitably, he did hit it there. Um, I, I, I do remember also with Andrew Brown, I, he was doing an interview with SNY for, like, a segment with them. And I remember he was talking about... Because uh, that was back when the Mets AAA affiliate was in Vegas. Mm. Um, and I remember he was kind of being very open and honest just about what it was like playing in Vegas. And he was like, man, like, it's so hot all the time. Like, it's, it's you got long bus rides. It's just not, a, not the most ideal place to be. And it was just kind of strange to see, like, a, a major leaguer be like that, uh, just that open and that honest about that experience. Um, so that's what I uh, that ho- that opening day home run and that interview were the two things I remember most about Andrew Brown. I mean, yeah, that must have sucked. Like, I mean, like quite simply, like it it's crazy that the Mets Triple uh, A affiliate was across the country. Like, you know, like what if, uh, um, you know, like what if like you had to make a roster move like right before the right before the the game? You know, it's like it was impossible. Um, you know, so thankfully now they're in Syracuse, but uh, man, it must have been rough. Like having to take like a like a five hour flight across the mm-hmm. country to play for the team, I and mean, it sucks. Yeah, the especially Mets if you're you were a, especially if you're a guy like Andrew Brown who was bouncing between the team and the minors all the time. Totally, yeah. I mean, uh, I think you know, I think a guy that I remember that that being like pretty prevalent with was Jacob Rame. In his first year, like I think when he first came up, the Mets affiliate was still in. Yeah, because the Mets, uh, 
I think he debuted in 2017. So like they were, yeah, they were still in Vegas at that point. So, uh, you know, like getting bounced between those, the, 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 the minors and the majors back then, like really sucked. So the Mets actually lost that game. That's one of the rare opening days they lost. They were, they lost nine to seven. Um, so they went up three, nothing in the first, then they went, then the nationals scored two, um, the Mets answered back with another. So it was 4-2 going into the seventh. Um, the Nationals tied the game uh, in the seventh, 4-4. The Mets took the lead in the eighth, and then the Nationals tied it in the ninth. The game went into extras. The Nationals scored four runs in the tenth. The Mets scored two runs in the tenth, and but they came up short. Um, so uh, – it's Eric a pretty Young, wild opening day game. <laughs> it's a pretty it's a pretty wild opening day game for sure. Uh you know, they're pitching Dylan G started for the Mets. That should tell you all about you need to know for for that. Uh he had uh he had like a pretty not good performance. He went he went six and two thirds, uh four runs on four hits. He walked two, he struck out five, he let up a home run. Um you know, he not great. Carlos Torres, who had a rubber arm pitched, uh, he faced one batter and walked someone. Um, Scott Rice also faced one batter and walked him. Jose Valverde came in, struck out three, struck out three batters in an, in, in inning and a third. Uh, Bobby Parnell had a blown save. Jarius Familia, who took the loss in that game, let up a run. And then John Lennon let up two runs. Oh, I'm sorry, Jarius Familia let up two runs. John Lennon, against his former club, let up two runs. So, I mean, it's a pretty pretty rough bullpen anyway. Um, I do remember um, Bobby Parnell because that was the only game he pitched that year because I think immediately afterwards he needed Tommy John surgery. So. Yeah. He blows a save in the first game of the season and then doesn't pitch again. And I remember also um, Bryce Harper, he tried to, on a stolen base attempt, he got hurt, and he was out for a while after that. So a lot going on in that game. A lot, a lot going on in that game. And, and the, the, the Nationals actually had a few future Mets in their lineup. Uh, they had Jose Lobatone and Wilson Ramos both caught that game. Jerry Blevins came on in relief in that game. Um, and I was going to say, oh, and Tyler Clippard pitched too. Danny Espinosa, who was in Mets farmhand. So a lot of, a lot of guys sprinkled in there. Um, you know, the Mets lineup that day, not awful. You had Eric Young Jr. Who actually started at second that game. Juan Lagares in center, David Wright at third, Curtis Granderson in right. Um, and that was his first game as a Met. Um, and I remember he didn't, he struck out three times and I'm pretty sure he got booed. You know, on opening day, you could, you could, you could, you could correct me, but like, I feel like that happened. I feel, you know, I feel like it happened too at one point. I remember he got off to like a pretty rough, his first season, like he got off to a bit of a rough start. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I feel like maybe it wasn't opening day, but he's, he started getting booed like kind of early on. And like, I feel like it was just Mets fans being like, of course, like, you know, we signed this guy to a four year deal and he sucks. And like, you know, and actually, Granderson ended up being a really terrific Met. You know, he, in 2015, led the team in wins above replacement. He was 
before they got Cespedes and before Murphy became Babe Ruth for a little for a hot minute, Granderson was like the was like the most stable guy in that lineup. Um, so it's kind of funny that he got booed, and he was such a class act too. Never mm-hmm. spent a never spent a day on the disabled list mm-hmm. during his time with the Mets, which is incredible. So yeah. Oh, go ahead. oh, I was I was gonna I was gonna say like I, the thing with him was like you know in that 2015 season because obviously pitching was not the issue, offense was the issue, and you know you had a bunch of games where Granderson would hit a leadoff homer, and it was like all right, that's that's all the runs you're getting. You better make it work. Yep. Those were some rough days, man. I mean, you know, the Mets got no hit twice in 2015. Um, later in the season was against Max Scherzer, and the Mets were already pretty much in the playoffs, or I think they were already had clinched, so it didn't really matter. But they got a hit, no hit, uh, by Chris Heston of the Giants, and I'm sure all Giants people legend, Giants legend, <laughs> Giants legend Chris Heston. I was actually at that game. It was pretty bad. I think the Mets had a couple walks, maybe a hit by pitch, but it was brutal. Um, it was it was just like, you know, it got to the point where it was like the seventh inning, and you're like, the Mets just they're not getting a hit today. Um, I think Anthony Recker hit like cleanup that day. It was it was bad, um, but. Just looking at this lineup, it's just like you see these guys, and you're just like, this is bad. It's just like such a rough year. Um, you had you had Omar Quintanilla come in as a pinch hitter. Um, you know, John Lennon, like I said, who I don't even think lasted into the summer that year. Um, and I like Derek Young too, but like, I mean, he was he wasn't a guy that was gonna uh, give you anything more than some speed. Mm-hmm. So rare opening day loss for the Mets. Um, you know, and hopefully this year the lineup's going to look a lot better than this. Uh, and hopefully they come away with a win. They're also playing against the Nationals coming up this Thursday. But, uh, you know, just to get off the opening day topic a little bit, I wanted to bring up uh, a Mets prospect from uh, about 20 years ago. So, Mike, you, you and I have talked about this a little bit. But uh, the Mets had a prospect – uh, at the turn of the century named Brian Cole. And Brian Cole, uh, he was a guy who I think the Mets organization really had big hopes for. And um, he uh, was a small, rather small guy, actually. You know, he wasn't really a stocky guy by any means. Um, you hear a lot of people talk about him, and uh, he kind of fooled a lot of people because – he had a lot of power at the dish. And um, so I think a lot of pitchers kind of slept on him in some respects, but he actually had a lot of pop in his bat. And so uh, you know, he was 5'9", he was 168 pounds. So he was, he was a kind of Colin Cowgill-esque looking guy. Um, born in Meridian, Mississippi uh, in 1978. Uh, he was drafted by the Mets uh, in the 18th round of the 98 draft. Um, and he, uh, he kind of surprised him guys that year. He played in 58 games, um, you know, in rookie ball, he had 298, had a 315 on base percentage. Uh, and then he spent the 1999 season where he really broke out with the capital city bombers, of uh, class a, uh, he hit, uh, 18 home runs. He hit 316, had a 362 on base percentage and 884 on base plus slugging. Uh, he stole 50 bases too, so he was fast and he hit for power. And then in 2000, um, he split the year between high A and double A. Um, uh, 
appeared in 137 games. Again, hit 19 home runs, hit 301, had a 347 on base, 840 on base plus slugging, stole 69 bases. Um, and most of them came in St. Lucie because he played 91 games that year. Um, he stole 54 bases with them, but then he stole uh, 15 for, for Binghamton too. So uh, he was a guy who I think the Mets kind of got a steal with in their draft. Um, you know, and who knows what would have happened with him. I mean, you know, you really just don't know uh, exactly what – guys are going to do uh, when they get to AAA, if they ever make it to the majors. So we don't really know what Brian Cole would have been. But uh, the unfortunate thing is that we never got a chance to know because Brian Cole unfortunately died in a car accident um, March 31st, 2001. So almost 20 years ago to the day. Um, he was uh, driving to his parents' house in Meridian, Mississippi, from spring training in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Uh, and he lost control of his car, um, rolled off the road, uh, flipped over, and uh, he, um, he wasn't wearing a seatbelt, unfortunately, and, and he was ejected from the car. Um, I know that, that the, you know, I don't, I don't know, obviously, the full extent of it. I know that there were some issues. I believe he was driving a Ford Explorer. Um, and... Uh, there was some issues with those Ford Explorers where the seatbelts were defective. So it could have honestly just like, like uh, unbuckled him like, and that's what happens. But his family actually won a lawsuit against Ford in 2010, uh, $131 million lawsuit that they filed um, claiming that the, the, the car that he was driving was defective and unreasonably dangerous for the uses for which it was marketed because the vehicle had an unreasonable tendency to roll when used as Ford, when used as Ford marketed it to be used uh, as a station wagon replacement. And that the vehicle is also defective and unreasonably dangerous from an occupant protection or crash worthiness standpoint, because the safety belt failed to remain locked and permitted Brian to be thrown from the car and killed. Um, so, you know, there were definitely some, some issues with the car itself. And, you know, Brian was such a young guy. He was 22 when he died. He probably would have started the season in Binghamton, if not AAA. Uh, I believe they were playing in, in Tidewater or Norfolk at that point. Um, and this is 2001. So in the pipeline, you also have David Wright. Mm -hmm. You also have Jose Reyes, who would have who debuted in the next couple of years. Um, you have Scott Casimir as well, who was ultimately traded to the uh, to the um, Tampa Bay Rays. Mm -hmm. um, so you had a lot of these these young guys who uh were exciting and were probably going to debut in the next few years um casimir i'm sorry was drafted in 2002 but when you think of it you had you know over a span of four years you had these guys in the pipeline who would have been key contributors to i mean they went on and they they went to the nlcs in 2006 so you know you have to think you know if if cole continued doing what he was doing in the minors he would have been coming up probably around the same time as Reyes, Wright, Scott Casimir. And those guys would have been the young nucleus on those teams, along with, you know, perhaps Carlos Beltran, if they still got him at that point, Pedro Martinez, um, Cliff Floyd, and, and uh, 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 Carlos Delgado. You know, Scott Casimir would have really solidified that rotation that had some injuries. Uh, Brian Cole would have given them uh, – 
a nice one-two punch at the top of the order with Reyes. So it really is a tragic story. Um, and I think a lot of Mets fans, especially around our age, probably don't know about Brian Cole because this happened um, when we were really young. But, uh, you know, it's just – it's really a sad thing. And I think that since I found out about it, I've been really fascinated on the Brian Cole story um, just because he was so young and it's such a tragic thing. And we just never got to see yeah. what he was truly capable of. And, and also just from like a, a from a, a human perspective, like – having such a young man be taken away from the earth uh, so prematurely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember um, you, you, you were the one that taught me, taught me a lot about him. Cause I, like you'd said, like Mets fans our age don't really probably don't remember it. We were very young at the time. Um, and so I, I'd always known about it, that there was this prospect named Brian Cole who had suddenly passed away. Um, but I didn't know that he, you know, I, I, I wasn't aware of his, um, prowess as a prospect that he um, was, you know, just just starting to really show his potential and what he can do. And when doing some research beforehand, just looking at him, I saw like in junior college he had a season where in sixty games he hit like twenty seven home runs, something crazy like yeah. that. Um, and so, you know, just the, like you said, you know, just a, a young guy, a very talented baseball player, and just a really really tragic loss. Mm -hmm. It's really sad, um, you know, and and really devastating for for anybody, for his family, for the Mets organization, for his teammates, for his his competitors, um, you know. And, and I actually have an article up here. This is a great article. Uh, I think anybody listening to this should read. It was published in Sports Illustrated, um, and it's called "The Best Player You Never Saw." It was published in 2013. Um, it's an awesome, awesome, immersive article on. Brian Cole's upbringing as a teenager um, and then, you know, kind of his, his college uh, journeys, him getting drafted, him coming up. It's so it's really great. Um, so I just wanted to read a little bit of an excerpt from here. Um, so this is, this is from the article and it says Cole played outfield in the Mets system from 98 to 2000. He hit 306 with 42 home runs, 90 doubles, 193 RBIs, and 135 stolen bases. Numbers that might remind you of ones Angels phenom Mike Trout put up in three years plus in the minors. Except that Cole had a lot more homers, doubles, and RBIs and was 50 pounds lighter and five inches shorter than last year's American League Rookie of the Year. Have you seen him play? Asks Albert Pujols as if, as if that's the first question in any discussion of Cole. The Angels slugger played with Cole in the Arizona Fall League as a Cardinals minor leaguer in 2000 before he went on to win three National League MVP awards. You'd think, man, this is just a little guy, Pujol says. And then you were amazed by his power, driving the ball into both gaps and then standing on third like it was nothing. Finally, Pujol asks, have you talked to Heath Bell? I collect bats, says Bell, the Diamondbacks reliever and three-time All-Star, and I have only one that's unsigned because Brian never got to sign it. When guests in Bell's home see the strange name branded on his prize bat but no signature, Bell says, I sit them down and tell them about the best, best ball player I've ever seen. The first thing I think of is the one he hit off the scoreboard against me in Columbus, Georgia, says Sabathia, who was otherwise dominant on July 23, 1999, the second time he pitched to Cole. The big lefty allowed three hits and struck out seven in six innings, but Cole's blast is what he remembers from that night. It was quote-unquote terrifying, according to a scout who saw it, and is still the subject of whispers among players who were there. 
He was a player we were going to build around as an organization. Former Mets general manager Jim Duquette testified in a Mississippi courtroom in August 2010. We were planning on David Wright at third base, Jose Ray as a short, and Brian Cole in the outfield. We were hoping that somewhere around 2002, he would be on the scene as a rookie in the major leagues. So, you know, it's it's sad. I mean, it's it's sad to hear those things, you know, especially the Heath Bell uh thing with with the bat i mean it's just it's so devastating you know that that he was taken away from the game at such a young age um but i think uh it's it's kind of like a like a a thing where you just you wonder you know you really wonder what could have been especially with jim duquette saying like he was a guy that was totally the Mets were planning to build around um you know he might have come up you know like he said in 2002 um you know, he probably would have come up later in that season. And 2003, Reyes came up. 04, Wright came up. And that's your nucleus of guys, your homegrown guy. And that's, you know, like that's – Reyes and Wright alone are two of the best homegrown guys the Mets have ever had. You know, Brian Cole, Wright, and Reyes could have been one of the best uh, in-house nucleuses the team ever would have had. Um, so, yeah, it's it's definitely sad. But I felt, I felt the need to bring up Brian Cole uh, on the anniversary because – you know, as sad as it is, I think that it's 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 uh, it is beautiful in some respects that he got to touch as many people as he did in such a short amount of time, and he had this profound effect on some of these stars. I mean, CC Sabathia, Albert Pujols. You know, the comparison to Mike Trout, like that's some that's some high praise for a guy that a lot of people probably don't know about. So, I think it's worth celebrating the life of Brian Cole uh, for being such a young man, but also for someone who loved the game as much as he did and was so good at it too. You know, it's something that I think, uh, you know, anybody can really buy into and, and, uh, and really should, should know his story. No, I completely agree. And I, I'm glad, I'm glad we're able to talk about him a little bit. I think he, you know, it's kind of just uh, an example of why we like doing this so much is, you know, that's someone that maybe the casual baseball fan probably hasn't heard of, probably doesn't know much about, um, and we want to be able to have him be a little more well known, get to tell his story. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's kind of the case with you know all of our all of our Mets legends, you know that because um, I mean, regardless of what they did while they were with the team, you have to be a very, very good baseball player to make it to the major league. Totally. Um, and all of them all of them have an interesting story of how they got there. All of them have their um, semi notable moments that maybe get lost as time goes by, but, um, that's that's why we're here. We love to we love to talk about him and bring him back up. Yeah, totally, man. And and uh, just for for the amount of Mets prospects that like have flopped over the years. I mean, you have Fernando Martinez, you have uh, Alex uh, Escobar. Um, you know, you just you you have you have a lot of guys who just never lived up to that promise. Um, but uh, you know, so it's it's interesting. I mean, there's I think that like in any scenario, like organizations are going to have teams that have guys that don't live up to the potential. And, um, you know, unfortunately in this Mets case, like it seems like he would have, but, um, you know, it is impressive what he did in such a short amount of time in the minors. Uh, and, uh, I personally, I, I'm a big baseball card collector and I've been trying to, uh, I've been trying to stock up on some Brian Cole cards, the, the limited ones that are out there. So I'll have to, I'll have to show them off on our, our Twitter page. But um, one that I'd really like to talk to you about next time when we, when we talk on the podcast is uh, the Mets had a former first over a former first round pick named Ryan Jaronchik uh, back in the nineties. And he kind of just stepped away from baseball. Like he just 
was like, I don't like playing baseball. Um, and I don't want to play anymore. <laughs> and that was kind of it. So, uh, stay tuned for that next time. And, uh, we'll be sure to bring you guys some, uh, some excellent, uh, Mets legends content. Give us a follow on Twitter, uh, at Mets legends, um, and stay tuned for, uh, for, um, our next podcast and our blog, which should be ready soon. Um, Mike, I'm looking forward to the next episode and, uh, you know, I just want to want to tell you how excited I am to, to be doing this with you. Yeah, no, me too, man. Thanks for bringing me aboard. This is, this is great. Having a lot of fun. And uh, thank you to everyone who listened. We appreciate yeah, it. Absolutely, guys. Until next time, we'll talk to you later.